Today I'd like to do something a little bit different. Uh, You may have noticed that uh, normally when I preach, I I like to take a passage and I like to work uh, through that passage sort of verse by verse, explaining it in the context of that day and that time, and then drawing out uh, applications that are relevant uh, for us today. Uh, But today I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to just tell us a simple story. And because all stories we know must have titles, uh, we'll call this story A Tale of Two Sons. I don't know what that means. (laughs) I'm going to keep going. Once upon a time in the land of Haran, there was a man named Abram. And Abram lived in Haran uh, with his wife, Sarai. Sarai and Abram resided there with uh, Abram's family, his father Terah, and they had a happy life in Haran. The only thing that might could have made their life happier would have been the presence of children in their life. Abram and Sarai had tried unsuccessfully for years and years to have children, and this was something that as time went on became more and more painful for them. But then one day, something amazing happened to Abram. This was a day that he would never forget, a day like had never happened before, a day that would change his life forever. Abram heard a voice speaking to him. It was not like any human voice he had ever heard before. It was a powerful voice. Was a vo- <clears throat> excuse me. It's a voice that rang with authority, and also was filled with love. And he looked around in every direction, trying to see where this voice was coming from. But he saw no one. And startled, he did not know what to do but listen. And his fear was overcome by his compulsion to listen to the loving voice that was speaking to him. This was not a voice that could be ignored. This was a voice that even if it had commanded the earth to stop and be still, the earth would have stopped and listened. Was it an audible voice from the heavens? Was it an inner voice that rang louder inside of him than an audible voice ever could? We do not know. I'm not sure that Abram knows. But we do know that this voice was from God. And we know what the voice said to Abram. It said, Abram, leave your country, leave your family, your father's home for a land that I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation and bless you. I'll make you famous. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and those who curse you, I will curse. Abram, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Abram, go. Take your family. Leave your home. What a wonderful yet terrifying request. Maybe not a request because a voice this powerful and with this much authority doesn't make request. It was a command. 
But the love in this voice made it feel more like a request. A command and yet a promise. A promise of wonderful blessings to Abram and his family. But Abram didn't have a family beyond his wife, Sarai. And yet, inside of this command and promise from God was the promise of a great family. A family so large that it would be called a nation. But how could this be? Sarai was barren. She could not have children. How would God make Abram into a great nation of people if he and Sarai could not have children? He did not know the answer to this, but he trusted this voice, and he trusted, more importantly, the the one behind this voice. And Sarai trusted Abraham, and so immediately they gathered their things together They said their goodbyes and they set out from the home that they knew and the people that they loved and they set out with Abram's nephew Lot and with some of the servants in Abram's house and they headed for the land of Canaan. Maybe it was their intense longing for children that helped them to so easily and willingly obey this command. They trusted enough to obey the command from God to leave their home because because he had promised them a family and a great number of descendants. But can you imagine trying to explain this to the rest of the family? What about the, the servants that went with him who were being required to leave their families and their home as well possibly? Did they think, oh sure, This man has heard a voice from God. This crazy man is going to ruin our lives. And how stupid are we? We're going to follow him. But as they traveled, Abram and Sarah's mind kept going back to this possibility of a child. When the trip was tough, when the weather was bad, when they missed their home, they focused on this promise from God that they would have a child. Sarai, in particular, longed for a son for Abram, a son who would be the beginning of this great nation of people that God had promised them. But if she was completely honest, she doubted how all this was going to come about. She and Abram have tried for years to have children, and it was not humanly possible. But at times when she would wonder about this, she would focus back on the excitement in Abram's voice when he relayed to her the promises of God. Promises that they would be the parents of many descendants. But still, she had not heard this voice herself. And when she asked Abram about the voice, he really couldn't tell her that much about it. He was just certain that he had heard it He was certain what the voice had said, and he was certain that it was from God. But at times, if she was honest, she wondered if this was just something that was in his head or if it was really something that took place. But because of her love for him, she pressed on and hoped that this promise was for real. 
Now, eventually, this band of travelers, they arrive in the land of Canaan. And that the last miraculous encounter between God and Abram wasn't miraculous enough. This time, God appears to Abram. And he says, I will give this land to your descendants. And this was a much-needed confirmation because if Abraham was honest, there were times on the trip where he too wondered how all of this was going to work out. God had made him the promise that he was going to show him this land, but how would he do that? How would all of this come about? And now God has appeared to him and spoke plainly to him saying, I'm going to give you and your descendants this land. And God speaks to Abram again saying, look as far as you can. In every direction, north and south and east and west, I'm giving all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction, for I am giving it to you. And Abram was overjoyed by this promise. This was wonderful. This was great. But at the same time, as much as he was appreciative and thankful, he replied in a very honest way to God, expressing his waning patience and his longing for a child. Abram says, O sovereign Lord, what good are your blessings, all your blessings, when I do not even have a son. And so God answers and he says, Abram, look up to the sky and count the stars if you can. That is how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed God. He believed that God would answer his prayer for a child and that this child would be the beginning of many descendants that would make up a great nation of people, Abram believed God. But time passes, and it passes slowly. Abram, Sarai had lived in Canaan now for 10 years, and they still had no son. Why was God taking so long? He promised. What is going on? And Sarai's longing for a child grew stronger every day. They were both growing more and more impatient and frustrated. And they were getting old, too old. And so, like men and women often do when we're waiting on God, Sarai came up with her own plan. She suggests to Abram that maybe the answer to their problem was within their very own household. Abram, if God is not going to come through on this promise to you, then I have my own plan. Hagar is my servant, and she will give us a child. You and Hagar together will give us a child. Abram, do you understand? Now, whether or not Abram thought this to be right or wrong, we do not know. Maybe he thought it was wrong, but maybe he could not bear 
the burden of his wife's agony any longer. Or maybe he did like we do oftentimes, and he rationalized within himself that maybe this was the way God had intended for this to take place all along. Whatever was going through his head, he agreed with this plan. And ultimately, he and Hagar have a son named Ishmael. But this was not God's plan for giving the couple a child. And as is so often the case, when we go against God's plan with our own plan and with our own ideas, the consequences did not turn out like they won't. Sarah came to resent Hagar to the point that ultimately she forced Hagar and Ishmael from the house. And I don't have time to get into this story this morning, but this was a very painful experience for Abram, and he only agreed to it after God promised that he would take care of his son, Ishmael. And so, Ishmael's gone. The years continued to pass, and Abram and Sarai still did not have a child. They got older and older and still no son. But God continued to speak to Abram. And he even appeared to him again and took these promises that he had made in the past and made them into a binding covenant with Abraham. And he even, as part of this covenant, changed Abram's name from Abram to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And he took and he changed Sarai's name to Sarah, which means princess, which is an appropriate name for someone who God promises that kings will come from her offspring. God says to Abram about Sarah, Sarah, he says, I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. And Abraham was overcome with joy. And he, he was overcome with uncontrolled laughter. For he could not understand how a man who was now 100 years old would have a child with a woman who was 90 years old. And he was overtaken with laughter. And God takes this laughter and he says, Abram, Abraham, you will name your son after this laughter. You will name him Isaac, which means laughter. Abraham, that is your new name. Father of many nations, that is your new name. I will give you a son. This time next year, Sarah will have a son and you will name him Isaac. And then one year later, Sarah did have a son. A 90-year-old woman and a 100-year-old husband have a son together, and they name him Isaac. What a promise. When we consider this, it almost makes us want to laugh today. After all their years of waiting, God's promises finally came true. All was right in their world. And this was true for many Years as they watched Isaac grow and continued to marvel at the wonder of it all. But one day, many years later, God visited Abraham again and everything changes. God had another command for Abraham. This one much more difficult than the first one. Abraham, 
Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and offer him in the land of Moriah as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, I will tell you. Your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Abram, take your son, Isaac, bind him up, lay him on an altar, and kill him. Do this to your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. How is this part of the promise? How will Abraham's descendants become a great nation with Isaac gone? If he was too old to have children before, well, he is certainly too old now. And what about Sarah? She trusted him in the past, but this was too much. There is no way that she is going to trust him now. The agony Abraham was about to face would be much greater than any of the agony that he and Sarah had faced before it while they were waiting for a child. Why, God, did you even give Isaac to us if you were just going to take him away? And why in this way? This is too hard, God. What is going on? Own. Why, after giving us the son that you have promised, are you now taking him back from us? How is this part of your promise, God? And Abraham could have easily said, God, if you want him, then you take him. I will not participate in this. I will not raise my hand against my one and only son whom I love. But he didn't. Once again, Abraham was obedient. He trusted in God and his every word, even when his commands seemed to go against anything rational and sane. The next morning, Abraham awoke early. Not that he had probably slept any the night before with his mind spinning and his, and his heart breaking, and he begins to go about the chores that would be necessary to carry out this unimaginable task. He gathers his knife. He cuts firewood that he would use for the burnt offering. He saddles his donkey and he gathers Isaac and two servants and they set out on this dreadful trip. And though the narrative in Genesis 22 simply passes over the whole three days of traveling with one single verse that says on the third day of the journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. The days did not pass that easily for Abraham. We should not zoom past this part of the story lest we neglect to experience the agony of a father who is taking his son to a place where he will kill him and he has to think about it for three days. Every step that donkey took was one step closer to Abraham having to do the unimaginable. And so when Abraham looked up on that third day and saw the mountain, let us not just pass by the agony 
that's going on in this father's heart. After three days, this funeral procession arrives at the place God had told him. But as Abraham steps off his donkey, he speaks to his servants, and and in doing so, we get a deeper glimpse of the faith of this man. Though he fully intends to be obedient and sacrifice Isaac as he was commanded, he says to his servants, Stay here with the donkey. Isaac and I will go over there to worship, and we will return to you again. Abraham knew that God had promised to give him many descendants through Isaac and believed in some way that even if Isaac died, that God was able to raise him from the dead. It is because of faith like this that we call Abraham the father of our faith today. But nonetheless, this bloody task still remained. He must trek up this mountain, he and Isaac. And he must take Isaac and he must bind him up and he must build an altar and he must lay his son on it and he must take his knife and shove it into his son's heart before lighting a fire that would consume his body. The body of the one and only son whom he loved. And yet he presses on, all in obedience to God. Abraham gathers the wood for the sacrifice. He takes the wood and he places it on Isaac's back, across his shoulders. And he gathers the knife and the implements to start the fire. The burden of wood would have been heavy, too heavy had Isaac known its real purpose? That Isaac was likely in his 20s at this time and was more than capable of bearing this burden of wood as he went up the hill? But I can't help but think this must be a lot like digging your own grave without even knowing it. And the fact that he was able to bear this load also indicates to us that he was more than able to resist his old father had he decided to. He could have fought him off. He could have run away. Very soon into the journey up the mountain, Isaac begins to wonder exactly what was taking place. As they progress up the mountain with Isaac bearing the wood and Abraham bearing the instruments of death, Isaac turns to his father and says, Father, we have the fire and the wood Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham, answering Isaac in a way that was perhaps more insightful than he knew, in a way that was not only insightful but prophetic in that it was speaking of more than what was just happening here in this moment, Abraham responds to his son and says, God will provide a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And they continued to walk on together. Each step more and more difficult as Isaac bore the load of wood across his back and as Abraham bore the load of the misery that he'd been carrying with him for three days now. 
with each step, both loads got heavier and heavier until they finally arrived at the place God told Abraham to carry out this most difficult of commands. Now, how exactly the next set of events transpired, we do not know. But as I said earlier, Isaac was certainly strong enough to fight off his father had he decided to, but he did not. He willingly allowed his father to bind him and to place him on this makeshift altar, an altar that was surrounded by wood that would soon consume his body. I'm not sure whether Isaac's willing obedience to his father made this task more difficult or more easy. But the moment of truth has arrived, the moment that Abraham has been dreading for three days was now here. And Abraham approaches the altar on which his son is bound and his, he looks down at the son who is all that he has hoped for for so many years. He looks down at this son who he's waited on with his wife for so long and he sees his son staring up at him not understanding this any more than his father. Isaac had been told all the promises about him. And now all these promises are in jeopardy and the unimaginable is about to take place. Would it hurt? How long would he struggle? What would be next? Abraham finds himself standing over the altar looking down at his son Isaac and in this moment the promises of God seem to be in danger of being nullified. But Abraham continues to trust God and fighting against every bit of paternal instinct he has. Abraham removes the knife from its sheath preparing to take his one and only son's life in obedience to God. Abraham, Abraham breaks the silence of that moment. Do not lay your hand on the boy. Now I know that you fear God, seeing that you would not withheld your only son from me. The ordeal was over. Abraham had passed the test. The heart rates of Isaac and Abraham begin to settle down. And Abraham looks up and he notices a ram caught in the thicket by its thorns. He seizes the ram, removes Isaac from the altar, and sacrifices the ram in Isaac's place. And maybe, just maybe, he turned to his son and said, Isaac, the Lord will provide before he named the spot on this mountain, the Lord will provide. And so now with Isaac off the altar, the promises of God remain. It is Isaac's son Jacob who has 12 sons of his own who end up going to Egypt and multiplying to over a million people before Pharaoh is forced to let them leave. And so the promise to Abraham that he would become a great nation has been fulfilled. And Abraham's fame spreads all over the world and down through history, so much so that this morning, thousands of years later, we are talking about him. But if you remember, there was another promise as well. How did God intend to keep the promise that through Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed? 
Not just the physical descendants of Abraham who would become the nation of Israel, but all those outside of the family tree as well, including most of us sitting here this morning. But let me tell you another story. Though I began this morning with the story of Abraham and Isaac, that is not actually the beginning of this tale. The story really begins with another father and son. A father and son who have no beginning and a father and son whose story has no beginning and who has no end. Unlike Abraham, this father was not promised a son. He promised to send us his son. This is the story of God the Father and God the Son. And the son in this story is Jesus Christ. And in these two stories, there are a great number of similarities. Like Isaac, Jesus was born to a mother who defied nature in his conception. Like Isaac, he was the only son to his heavenly father and his father's greatest treasure. And like Isaac, most importantly, Jesus' father placed a load of wood on his back to be carried up a hill to a place where he would be sacrificed. And like Isaac, Jesus obediently submitted to death because it was the will of his father. But it is at the place where the similarities between these two stories end that the foundation for our faith as Christians begins. Abraham's response to Isaac, God will provide for himself a lamb, my son, finds its greatest fulfillment in John the Baptist's cry about Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so while Isaac was spared in his story, we read in Romans 8.32 that God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And this is where we get drawn in to this story. Because in the same way that Isaac was spared through the provision of a lamb, At the last minute, we too have been spared by the death of the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And so the promises in Genesis 22 that God will provide a lamb have become perfectly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. While Isaac is the promised son who begins the nation of God's people, Jesus is the promised son who saves the nation of God's people. A people who are sons and daughters of Abraham not because of their DNA, but because of their faith. Brothers and sisters, we too are children of the promise because of our faith. And so using the canvas of Abraham and Isaac's lives, God has painted a picture for us. A picture in which we see very graphically how we are redeemed. We also see a picture of the divine love shared between the Father and the Son. But even this picture falls short in many ways because of the infinite differences between Abraham's love for Isaac and the love of God the Father for God the Son. Though it is sometimes problematic to speak of God's emotions in human ways and with human terms, I think it is safe to say that if Abraham's heart was breaking when he placed Isaac on the altar, Jesus' heavenly father was breaking to an infinitely greater degree when he placed his son on that cross. God has the ability to love far beyond the way that we as humans can love. 
And just as the love of a parent for a child is greater than their love for anyone else, I think it is safe to say the heavenly father's love for his son was immeasurable and infinite in every way. And this is true not only because God's love is infinite, but because the object of the heavenly father's love was a son who is infinitely worthy of that love. This son loves the father to the same infinite degree that the father has loved him. This son has never let the father down, has never wavered in obedience. And if time makes love grow stronger, let us not forget that this son has existed in the perfect love of the Trinity for all eternity. And because of these things, I think it is safe to say that Jesus Christ is the most lovable son who has ever walked the face of the earth or roamed the streets of heaven. And so to the degree, the degree we can imagine the gut-wrenching, heartbreaking, mind-blowing agony that Abraham must have been feeling when he took his knife from his sheath and walked towards his son bound on the altar to kill him, to the degree we can wrap our heads around the feelings that must have been consuming Abraham's body in this moment where he was ready to bring that knife down upon his son with a violent and deadly force, to the degree that we can place ourselves in Abraham's shoes, we can only begin to imagine in the smallest way how God the Father felt as he watched his only son hanging there on the cross. I believe the agony that Abraham went through was a billion times less than what the father was feeling when he heard his one and only son who was gasping for enough oxygen to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Surely a God capable of infinite love is also a God capable of infinite heartbreak. And while Abraham had only to agonize over his son's death for three days, God the Father had to think about it for all eternity. And yet we are told that God the Father did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And friends, not to turn this into a hellfire and brimstone sermon, but if you believe that God who placed his son on the cross and watched him writhe in agony and who listened to his gurgling last breaths as he clung to life is going to let us spurn him and ignore him and mock him. If you believe that he is simply going to look the other way as we sin, sin that necessitated the suffering of his son on the cross, if you believe that, you're sorely mistaken. Friends, this is not a game. This is reality. This is the most real reality in all the universe. God will pour out a terrible wrath upon those who make a mockery of the cross. But brothers and sisters, if you have made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior... And if you have entered into the family of Abraham by faith, then God's promises to him are God's promises to you. And though we still wait on some of them to be fulfilled, we we know that a promise made by God is as good as a promise kept. But for now, on so many of those promises, we wait. And sometimes like Abraham and Sarah, we wait in agony for these promises to be fulfilled. 
And that is the purpose of the season of Advent we are about to enter into next week. To be drawn into a deeper anticipation, to be drawn into a deeper longing for the fulfillment of God's promises, and to be drawn deeper into this story of redemption, a story of Old Testament believers longing for their Messiah, and by doing so, we feel more deeply our own longing for his second advent. And we wait. We expectantly wait, knowing that one day the sky will roll back, the trumpet will sound, and Jesus will return for his bride. Friend, have you entered into that story yourself? Have you entered into the family of Abraham and into all these promises by placing your faith in Jesus Christ? If not, I pray today that you will do so. God has provided a lamb. His name was Jesus Christ. God has provided a lamb. That lamb was himself. God laid himself on an altar as a substitute for those who will trust in his son as their Lord and Savior. Will you trust him today? Let's pray. Father, we call you gracious in most of our prayers, but this is the ultimate example of your grace to us. Father, you showed your love for us while we were yet sinners and that you sent your son to die for us. And Father, for that, we are more grateful than anything else that we are grateful for. And I pray that if there is someone here today who has not come to the place where they know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that that today will be the day. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.